you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 2 and verse 13. Who's going to preach with me tonight? All right. All right. Book of Matthew, chapter 2 and verse number 13 says this, And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. And the prophet that Matthew is referring to is the prophet Hosea. And we read in verse, uh, ch- chapter 11, verse number 1, it says this, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. And tonight, by the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to talk to you for just a few minutes on being called out of exile. Does anybody feel like you're in a bit of an exile right now? <laughs> I knew I do. And the word of the Lord is calling us tonight to come out of exile into a new normal, a new normal. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray, God, that you would hide this messenger, God, behind the cross and let your word come forth. Let it minister to our hearts tonight. Help us to hear your voice through your word, Jesus. We invite you to minister in this place to each of our hearts. God, we open our hearts to you right now. God, open them wide for your word to enter in and change us, God, and help us to see the life that you're calling us to live. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. One of the outcomes of our current state of pandemic life is a new focus on what constitutes a normal life. Specifically, what our new normal state will look like, how long that will last, and whether we should really be looking at creating something new, a better kind of normal. Now, what we're really talking about is more of an ideal state. What, what, what is the ideal normal of a human life? And there have been calls to continue uh, remote working for those that can do so. There have been calls to transform how we interact with each other in order to prevent things like COVID in the future. There have been calls to rethink the business of how we live being human. But no matter what changes may or may not occur, either transitionally or permanently, they will never be normal. They will never be a good normal because guess what? We are in exile. You see, we had a normal. We had a normal in the Garden of Eden. It was defined by God. But we were exiled by sin, and ever since the human experience has been marked by this condition of exile and the question of how we might find a way, an eternal exodus from this condition into something 
better. And let me tell you tonight that this better state does indeed exist. It's not a garden variety normal, but it's a normal that's defined by God, where we have an answer for every need that presents itself to us, where we have a clear sense of identity and belonging, a state of unimpeded worship and an eternal and unshakable authority in a king of unpeachable love and justice for his people. It's a new normal that can be summed up in a single word, the name of Jesus. That is the new normal that we're looking for. And so we're going to discover tonight on a little journey what that new normal really is all about. Now, this depiction of life in the Garden of Eden gives us a sense of the originally designed normal state for humanity in four key areas. And they are authority, worship, identity, and provision. You see, in the garden, there was a very clear and legitimate authority structure. God was creator. God was Lord. And Adam had delegated authority from God. In today's world, we would just love to have some legitimate authority, wouldn't we? Events this week notwithstanding. So there's clear authority in the garden. There's also clear accessibility of worship. There was no hindrance between Adam and Eve and God until sin entered. There was clear identity. You see, Adam belonged in the garden. He belonged there. It was made for him. And his identity in that garden was without question. And in the garden was clear provision. Adam and Eve's needs were met in the garden. And so for a time, we don't know how long, but for a time, Adam and Eve had a sense of normal. They lived a, a normal human life that was defined by God. But then the Bible says that sin broke into the garden. The Bible says that God drove out the man. And humanity's current state of exile came into force. The old normal is forever denied. And ever since humanity has been looking for a way out of exile, looking for a new kind of normal. This state of exile is a pattern that has been reinforced time and time again in Scripture. And it's often paired, we find, with an exodus as a foreshadowing of perhaps an ultimate exodus. Adam and Eve, we know, were permanently exiled from Eden. Abraham was exiled in Egypt for a time. Jacob, exiled in Padanaram. Naomi was exiled in Moab. All forms of personal exile. Israel, of course, was exiled in Egypt. An exodus was required to extract them. Judah was exiled from their homeland to Babylon. And again, an exodus was necessary. You see, this sense of exile is deeply embedded in Scripture and in Jewish thought. But for a period in Jewish history, there was a glimpse of normal. There was a sense that perhaps they might be coming to some kind of a normal human existence. And they came as close as fallen, unredeemed humanity could. You see, during the reigns of David and Solomon and some of their more righteous descendants, Israel was able to, to get a, a glimpse of this kind of normal. 
What am I talking about? I'm talking about, again, these four things. Authority. They had authority from God through the king. They had worship with a sanctified temple, sanctified priesthood. They had identity as the nation of Israel. And they had provision, their vineyards, their fields, their herds from the land of Israel. And this normal that Israel was attempting to attain and this normal that we all long for isn't a Jewish experience. This is what we really want. No matter who you are, no matter what nation you come from, this is what, this is what people want. This is what people need. They just don't know how to get there. They don't know how to achieve it on their own because, to be honest, it's, an, it's unachievable. It's unachievable on a cursed planet full of sinful people. And this was the experience of Israel. Even with their knowledge of God, even with their knowledge of his law, they still failed to attain even this shadow of normal. See, God did intend that they, they have something. They, he did intend that they, they could reach a certain point. But they failed. Through Jeremiah, God let the Israelites know what normal was supposed to be like. In Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 3 to 5, it says this, And say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Cursed be the man that obeyeth not the words of this covenant, which I commanded your fathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt. When God brought them out of exile, there was a plan that he had. When he brought them from Egypt, brought them out of exile, he had an idea of the kind of life that they could live, but they failed. He goes on, he says, from the land of Egypt, from the iron furnace, saying, obey my voice and do them according to all which I command you. He wanted his authority to be existing over them. He wanted his authority to be in effect in their lives. It goes on to say, so shall ye be my people. He wanted them to have an identity. He wanted them to know that they were Israel and that they were the chosen people of God. And he said, so uh, shall ye be my people and I will be your God. He wanted to be their object of worship. He wanted to be the transcendence in their life. He wanted them to connect with his divinity. He wanted their worship that I might perform the oath which I have sworn unto your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as it is this day. He wanted to be their provision. He wanted them to have this sense of normal, of authority, of worship, of identity and provision. But their kings were flawed and led Israel to reject God's authority. Their worship was polluted by other gods. And when their sin reached a breaking point, they were exiled again. Their identity damaged. Their land no longer providing for their needs. And so even in the best of times, Israel's glimpse of normal was just that. Just a glimpse. It was a shadow, a mimicry, an approximation of the old normal. Yeah, they, they came out of physical exile. That was temporary. But there was no way out of the real exile. 
No door was available. No way was opened. No option to exit this state of affairs. The new normal that we were looking for was unattainable. We could not get from here to there. So we needed someone from there to come here to reveal the way that we could not find on our own. We needed someone to come to Egypt. We needed someone to come to our hopeless state, someone to come to our wretched state, someone to come to the the kingdom of darkness to show us the way out. And you may be feeling like that tonight. You see, this life that we're living, even in the middle of this pandemic, this is not normal. I know we say it's not normal because we're living in a pandemic, but even before the pandemic, this was not normal. This is not how it was supposed to be. And if you're in this place tonight and you've got a sense that, you know what, life isn't all that's cracked up to be. Life is just, is just not what I think it ought to be. Well, let me tell you tonight, you're right. You're absolutely right, but I've come here to tell you tonight that there is a life that God has for you. He's got a new normal that's waiting for you. He's got a plan for you, and if you step into that plan, guess what? You get to live a new kind of normal. You get to live a new kind of life, a life ordained by God, a life full of purpose, a life full of identity, of authority, of worship, and of provision. There is a way you can get out. You see, you've been called out of Egypt. This little prophecy that we've, we read in our text, out of Egypt have I called my son. This little prophecy referenced by Matthew is, at least in my experience, has been kind of glossed over as a part of the Christmas story, a, sort of an interesting little tidbit, if you will, um, But certainly as a prophecy, uh, it seems little more than just kind of advance notice that Jesus is going to go to point A, and then he's going to go from point A to point B. He's going to go to Egypt, then he's going to go from Egypt back to Israel. It just, you kind of read through Matthew, and you might miss the importance of what Matthew's trying to convey to us. You see, this little verse is so much more than that. We have to remember that Matthew's audience was primarily Jewish, And their mindset was imbued. It was embedded with this sense of exile. You see, they knew that they were in exile. Yeah, they might have been living in the land of Israel, but they were exiled. Exiled from their kingdom. Exiled from their self-determination. Exiled in sin. You see, it was in their history, in their scripture, in their understanding of who they were and from whence they came. And this prophecy that Matthew was pulling from Hosea, harmonized with that idea in a deep, sympathetic way. But this prophecy, as Matthew applies it to Jesus, this resonance didn't merely sound off old themes, but it gave them fresh revelation. And so we need to understand why Matthew has applied this prophecy to Jesus. What does he mean here? Now Hosea, if we go back to Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, Hosea is clearly talking about Israel as a nation, referencing most likely Exodus 4 and 22, where Moses, uh, through, through Moses, God clearly calls Israel his son. And this is Moses speaking, or this is God telling Moses what to say. He said, thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, 
Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, let my son go that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even their firstborn. So it's very clear that Hosea is referring to Israel. He says, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Hosea didn't have the Messiah in mind. When you read Hosea, there's, really, there's no really concept of Messiah in, 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 in around that verse. But Matthew clearly indicates that God definitely had this idea when he writes, and this is Matthew's writing, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. And so when Matthew pulls this verse out of Hosea, he's saying, yeah, Hosea might have written it in one way, talking about Israel, but this verse really applies to the Messiah. And the point that Matthew is making, and I'm hoping, I hope I make this clear. The point he's making is that the Messiah is the summation and the representation of Israel. The Messiah is the final expression of what Israel was always supposed to be. And because of this, Israel will share in the Messiah's return from exile. This is somewhat supported in Isaiah chapter 49, verses 3 and 6. Verse 3 says this, The Lord said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel. So in this servant song in Isaiah, the Lord's clearly calling Israel his servant, in whom I will be glorified. But in verse 6 it says, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Israel and to restore the preserved of Israel. Well, well hang on a sec. Who, who is he talking about here? Is he talking about Israel? Or, or, or is he talking about somebody else? Well, he's talking about the Messiah. But in, in Isaiah's mind, when God is writing this through Isaiah, he's effectively equating Israel and the Messiah. Not, not from a, a power perspective or from an authority perspective, but merely the fact that when the Messiah comes, he is going to represent Israel. He is going to be the Israel, if you will. And so the servant is both identified as Israel and as the restorer of Israel, and his life is going to impact the Gentiles. You see, the Messiah is prophesied to be the one through whom the world will find salvation. Now, let me see if I can make this a bit clearer. If we move forward to the New Testament, we find the very same concept represented, but in a slightly different way. In the New Testament epistles, we find that the church is the body of Christ with Christ as the head. This is a very common theme in Paul's writings and functions in the same way that as long as we are a part of his corporate body, identified as his people, then we will share in his achievements. You see, Ephesians declares it this way, says that we, as the church, we're accepted. We have an inheritance. We are quickened. We are raised up. We sit together in heavenly places in Christ. We are blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ. 
So there's this concept that what applies to the Messiah applies to Israel and the reverse. And what applies to us as the church is the same thing as it applies to Christ. We share in his achievements. We are victorious because he is victorious. We get to participate in all of the triumphs that Christ has wrought because we're a part of him. We're in Christ. And Matthew's letting us know that while this prophecy is about Israel, it's now also about the Messiah. And that since we are his people in spirit, guess what? It's about us. We're in that prophecy. We're, we're, we're there. And because we're in him, we're able to share in that triumph. This is what Matthew's trying to tell us about exile. When Matthew pulls Hosea out of the Old Testament and says, out of Egypt have I called my son. Yes, Israel's represented there. Yes, the Messiah is represented there. But you're there as well. And I'm there as well because we're a part of Christ. And so when God called Christ out of Egypt, he's calling us as well. And so this idea is important to understand. That's why I've spent some time to try to make it clear. Because it applies to what this verse is trying to say. Just like Israel, the Messiah was exiled to Egypt. Both were exiled from the land of promise to a land of foreign gods in harsh circumstances. You see, Egypt is a type of the world. I think we understand that. And we find ourselves in this same state of exile, a state we've been in since the exile from Eden. Have you ever felt that you live in a world of unfriendly spiritual powers and cursed circumstances? Anybody agree to that? Say, yeah, I can wave a hand. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, Jesus was a child when he went to Egypt. Yes, that's true. Jesus went to Egypt as a young child, but he experienced and confronted spiritual Egypt, worldliness, in the hearts of his people. John 7 and 7 says, The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it, that the works thereof are evil. You see, Jesus understands and he's felt in his flesh the experience of exile. If you're sitting in this place and you're you're feeling a little bit of that exile condition, Jesus knows exactly how you're feeling. He understands the pain of humanity and our tendency to yield to the conditions of our exile. Hebrews 4 and 15 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. We could not find the way to where he was, so he came to us where we were. He came to Egypt. He came to exile to share its sufferings with us, to know our pain, to know our brokenness. And now if, if this were the end of the story, it would be a lovely story, similar to perhaps Moses, if you will, the Pharaoh's son leaving the splendor of the palace to live out his days in exile because, because he cared for the welfare of his people. 
And so if, if that was the end of the story that Jesus came to exile to share the suffering with us, that, that would be a wonderful story, a beautiful but sad story. But can I tell you tonight that that is not the end of the story? I can tell you tonight that Jesus came. Yes, he did. He came to share our pain and our suffering. But more important than that, Jesus came to break a way out. Jesus came so that he would show us the way out of exile. He came to Egypt because he knew we couldn't get out of Egypt. And so he came to where we were so he could show us the way out. Moses, with the power of God, shook the foundations of Egypt and declared, let my people go. And a way was made from physical exile. But Jesus, as the power of God, shook the foundations of hell on the cross and he cried, it is finished. And the way out of spiritual exile was finally opened. Egypt had no choice but to release the children of Israel. From exile, and if you place your faith in Christ, Egypt cannot prevent you from leaving exile. Out of Egypt have I called my son. Jesus came to this world, to Egypt, to open the door, blaze the trail out. And just as Jesus was called out of physical exile, now we are called out of spiritual exile. Jesus left Egypt, we can leave Egypt. In him. Jesus left exile. We can leave exile in him. The way forward, the truth that sets us free, the life we seek have come together in Christ. And in Christ, we are called out of exile into God's plan for a new normal. There is a new normal. There is a new normal that God has for us. There is a new normal that God wants us to live. You see, this new normal has begun in our lives with the new birth in obedience to the gospel. If you have obeyed the plan of salvation, then you are on your way out of exile. And the new normal that God has for you is available. In Christ, we now have the privilege to live this new normal. And in Christ, all four aspects are satisfied. Do you remember what they were? Authority, worship, identity, provision. All of these things are available in Christ. We left Egypt in Christ, and now we have authority. Because Jesus is our clear and legitimate authority. Jesus is far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Jesus is the king, but this world denies it. 
And if we're not careful, we can look around at the chaos that's around us. We can look around in the middle of this pandemic and we can begin to wonder, well, is Jesus really on the throne or not? But can I tell you and remind you tonight that we are his body and there is nothing wrong with the authority of Jesus Christ. And it's our task in this new normal that God is calling us to, to bring his authority to bear on everything that we see that needs it. Every time we name the name of Jesus, we declare his authority. Every good work we perform is a statement that the kingdom of Jesus Christ is in effect. This ought to be the new normal for us. This ought to be the way we live, a life of authority, a life of power, a life where we elevate our action to match the authority that God has invested in us. We need to seek first the kingdom. We need his authority. That's part of our new normal. But we also have worship. Jesus is the focus of our worship from which no one can deny us access because we don't worship him in a certain place. We worship him in spirit and in truth. And he is our God tonight. He is our God. You see, we need to worship, and we will worship something, because everyone looks for and will find that something or someone that invites them to participate in something greater than themselves. There are many things out there that will call and beckon for your worship. We are small, but we have an innate desire to be a part of something great. But there is nothing, there is no one greater than Jesus Christ. He precisely satisfies our desire to worship because he is our maker and he made us to worship him. Anything else is a fraud. Anything else is a fake. And so we need to make sure that our worship is normal. That our worship is normal for someone who's been redeemed. That our worship is normal for someone who's been blood-bought. That our worship is normal for someone who sees eternity approaching on the horizon and is anxiously waiting for the day that God is going to call his church home. Guess what? We've got a reason and an object to worship, and it is Jesus Christ, and he will never not satisfy our need for worship. We have authority, we have worship, and as you're probably beginning to conclude, I'm coming to a close. We also have identity. Jesus encompasses our identity. Ephesians 2 and 9 says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. No matter who or where they, where they are, everyone wants to belong. When our sense of belonging is shattered, our identity suffers. Our idea of who we are is damaged. 
And this can happen, as we've seen of late, along ethnic lines. It can happen along national lines, families, workplaces, so many other ways in which our identity can suffer. And there is only one identity that transcends all of these, and that is the church of the living God. When you become a citizen of heaven, you acquire an identity that nothing can shake. Nothing, child of God, can shake your identity in him. Nothing that you face is going to in any way undermine who you are in Christ. There's no pandemic. There's no chaos. There's no weirdness in our government. There's no scandal. There's nothing that can shake your identity in Christ. And so in this new normal that God is calling us to live, he's saying, child of God, believe in me, trust in me, and know that you are are in me, that you are a part of my body, and that when you are a part of my body, there is nothing that can shake you from that position. You are seated in heavenly places, and nothing will dislodge you from that child of God. You have an identity that outlasts even death. And lastly, he is our provision. Philippians 4 and 19 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Let's all stand. Because we are in Christ, he will not fail to take care of his own body. He may not supply our wants, but he'll supply our needs. And he has the riches in glory to do so. The new normal that Jesus wants us to live by is to simply trust him. To trust him. I know this can be challenging when the economy's in a nosedive and we're in the middle of a global pandemic, but we can and we must live by trusting him for all of our needs. All of our needs. And when we do so, we will find that he is faithful. And so if I could sum all of this up, God is calling us out of exile. We're on our, we're on our way. Don't, don't, don't mistake me. When you've, when you've gone through the new birth experience, you are now headed out of exile. You've left exile behind, and there's a new normal that God wants you to live. He doesn't want you to live the normal of the world. He doesn't want you to live by, by the standards of the world and, and by the, the, the attitudes of the world and, and the reactions of the world. He wants you to live the new normal that he's laid out for his church, this new normal of authority, this new normal of worship, of identity and provision. He's called us not just to survive, but to thrive. In all four of these areas, this is the new normal that the church is called to live and which the world around us desperately needs to see. This world is looking for answers. 
They're, they're seeing their lives shattered. They're seeing their sense of normalcy upended, uprooted, and they're looking for something to hang on to. They're looking for a way out of exile and child of God. You have that message in your heart. You have that message on your lips. You have experienced the way out of exile. You have Jesus Christ in your life, and you need to take this message to the world that needs to hear it. So let's show them what new normal really looks like. Let's show them what a child of God really lives like. Let's show them the kind of authority and worship and identity and provision that's available as the church of the living God. That's what God is calling us to. And so we're, I'm, I'm done. And I'm asking if you would even right now begin to lift up your attention to Jesus Christ. And I don't know if in some one of these four areas you've something's hit the mark and you've you felt, oh, you know what, man, I, there's some things in my life that I, I need to call the authority of Christ over and, and I failed or, or I, I haven't stepped up to the mark. If that's your situation, then right now I'd ask that you would begin to call on the name of Jesus and ask for his authority, bring his authority to bear in your situation. Maybe you felt like your worship has slacked off a bit in this pandemic. It's easy to kind of kind of slip backwards Kind of, kind of slip into to a, a sense of, of a, we don't know what's going on, but let me tell you tonight, you can worship God no matter what situation you're facing. You can always worship God. So I ask if you would begin to worship Him. Maybe your identity suffered. Maybe you need something from God tonight. Well, now's the opportunity. Jesus Christ is in our midst. He's here and He's ready and He's waiting to answer the call of His people. Let's worship him. Let's praise him. Let's call upon his name tonight. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, we bless you, God. We worship you, Jesus. We magnify you, God. We bring your name to bear over the sick in our church. We bring your name to bear over this city, God. We pray, Lord, that your name would be exalted. We pray that your name would be praised and declared. We pray, God, that you would be revealed as the way out of exile in our city. Jesus, we pray, God, that you would move in our city tonight. Hallelujah. Oh, we bless you, God. We bless you, God. Let's just for another moment or two, if you would continue to reach out, continue to call upon his name. Let's not leave this place until we've connected with him. Oh, we bless you, God. We bless you, God. We bless you, God. Let's turn that into a worship. Let's turn that into praise right now. Let's lift him up. Let's lift him up and give him thanks for the day that he called us out of exile. Let's give him thanks for the day that he called us from darkness into light.